When I put it to a vote, Kraken Krakoa listeners overwhelmingly responded that a deep dive into the missing mutants of the Dawn of X was of most interest of any topic I was considering. We're well over a year into the Hickman era of X-Men and the Dawn of X, and while we've seen a whole lot of mutants, there are still some rather notable characters who have not appeared, and whose absence is notable and raises interesting questions. Up front, I'll note that small background cameos are common, and it's possible characters I'll discuss have literally been seen. Likewise, I'm avoiding mutants like Manifold or Molly Hayes when we know perfectly well that they're in other Marvel books, Black Panther and Runaways respectively. My focus is on characters who we've seen next to nothing of who could have major roles in Hickman's X-Men moving forward. Today I'll answer, who are the most notable missing mutants in this era of X-Men? Who are the characters that we know and love from Marvel history and that we have not seen hardly anything of that could have major roles moving forward? Today I'll cover the first six, I believe, in part one. Of the missing mutants of Krakoa. Hey everybody, you're listening to Kraken Krakoa number 104. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. If you like the Comic Book Herald YouTube channel or Kraken Krakoa, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. It helps me out an awful lot in terms of new people finding this YouTube content that I'm putting out. Spoilers for some discussed comics in the Dawn of X may follow. Number one on the list, missing mutants are, of course, the Omega Level Mutants. Back in Marvel's incoming special, released at the end of 2019, we saw Mr. Sinister running through a list of Omega Level Mutants, declaring that no one has Legion or Mr. M's DNA because no one knows where they are. The remainder of these Sinister either had their DNA, or in the case of Franklin Richards, you know, that was sort of a tease going into the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries that now Franklin Richards is on the island, presumably Sinister has acquired his DNA as well. But in the case of Legion and Mr. M, we haven't really seen them. In the ongoing Ten of Swords event, which is happening right now, we've been seeing a lot of teases that Mr. M, real name Absalom Mercator, may well be in Otherworld, okay? So every indication, and, and I'm recording this at a point where we haven't officially seen this yet, but every indication is that Mr. M may be playing a role in Otherworld, so I suspect we're likely to see him soon, so I won't go too deep on that character in particular. I will, though, talk about Legion, who we have not seen. Who is Legion, if you're not familiar, or if you haven't seen, for example, the FX show, which obviously isn't quite as X-Men heavy as you might expect, but still very much plays in the X-Men universe. Uh, Legion is the son of Professor Charles Xavier. Uh, this is something that they find out later into Legion's life, honestly. The Professor X doesn't even know about him until uh, the mid-80s New Mutants issue in which they finally connect, and Legion is an Omega-level mutant. He has tremendous, tremendous psychic and, and these, like, reality-warping abilities. He also has something that has been really canonicalized in the Cy Spurrier run of Legion. He's got all these different uh, sort of characters in his head, right, that can take over at any given time, that have different power sets. He's immensely powerful, but he's also sometimes immensely fragile, at least as far as his mental state is concerned. The last we've seen of Legion actually came uh, prior to the Age of X-Men event, which was the event that right before Hickman's X-Men really took over. And it was in the Uncanny X-Men Disassembled. It was the relaunch of Uncanny X-Men. I think started in late 2018 and into 2019. And Legion showed up looking super dapper, hair not up in that crazy <laughs> giant flat top, but instead down at long flowing in a business suit. And we kind of see him come uh, at odds with Nate Gray, and he's really sort of weeded out of the event from there. To my recollection, he does not play a particular role in the actual Age of X-Men proceedings itself, although every time he shows up, you know, this is a character who often warps realities, or in many cases, like, he is the impetus behind the likes of the Age of Apocalypse or the Age of X, which is a Mike Carey written event 
that a lot of people sleep on because that that run gets a little bit overrated. Um, but Legion is very much at the center of the Age of X. One of his personas sort of drives that event and that alternate reality. And one thing that uh, Open Mike Eagle reminded everyone on Cracking Krakoa number 100, the live episode we did together, Legion resets the world at the end of the Age of X, but there aren't really checks and balances on, well, did he reset it the way, the, exactly the way it was? Or are we? is everything that's happening in a Legion-influenced universe, that, that opportunity for story is still very much out there, right? That is, that's the type of impact that this character potentially has. So what's coming from Legion in the future? Well, we can more or less bank on a major Legion story coming down the pipeline in Hickman's X-Men. I mean, he's the son of Professor X, he's one of 14 Omega-level mutants, and he's actually the one responsible for the death of Destiny way back in, I think, the Muir Island saga, if not right before that. Um, there have been moments in X-Men in the early 90s there where Legion is having these dreams like of connective tissue with Destiny. So he's got all these really interesting connections to these these some of the bigger mysteries and ideas that are in the world of X-Men right now. Legion has to play a role. I mean, the, really the only question is like, literally, where is he? Um, it, it does Professor X and Moira and Magneto, that kind of like Quiet Council triumvirate, do they know as well? Or is Legion a wild card for them? Because again, one thing I will point out, especially is we know from Moira's journals that the birth of Proteus was something that her and Charles essentially like crafted, essentially built from scratch in order to produce a reality warping mutant. And the same with Legion, the same with Legion potentially. So they, they sort of manufactured these two mutants in particular, and now they have them. What are their plans for them? I think that's an interesting question. Number two on the list uh, is related in that we just talked about the age of X-Man, but it is X-Man himself, Nate Gray. Who is Nate Gray? Well, he is the biological son of his dimensions, which is the Age of Apocalypse, Scott Summers and Jean Gray. He's actually uh, genetically manufactured by Mr. Sinister to be created. So Nate Gray is not listed among the Omega-level mutants on Hickman's chart that came out in the House of X and Powers 10 series, although his power set has certainly been comparable at times. As I mentioned, 2019's Age of X-Men event um, which you know preceded the the House of X and Powers of Ten. That is a it's a universe created by Nate in which he tries to create a mutant utopia essentially. So that is his power set. I mean, but in, in short, he is the Age of Apocalypse version of Cable, who has made it now into the Earth Six One Six. What's the last we saw of Nate? Well, as the Age of X Man event ended. Um, he he kind of ultimately caves and gives in and says, "All right, I'll reset things. The X Men can go back the way things were." And you know, basically, basically he says, "Hey, go enjoy the Hickman era of X Men." <laughs> is more or less where we net out. But he does have a really interesting com uh, conversation with Magneto in the final issue of Age of X-Man where he, he has this conversation with Magneto saying like, all right, I, I'm going to make a deal with you. You can go back, but a version of you, the Age of X-Man version of you has to stay here with me. Um, and then they start making plans, right? Using this, uh, what is it? The life seed, I think, that they've been using to manufacture this gener uh, this um, reality. They say, all right, we're going to make a, a perfect world. And Nate asks a simple question as he puts it, what would you sacrifice essentially for mutant utopia? So there's a lot of theories and this is something I've talked about as well in like the six month time gap uh, video I did here on Kraken Krakoa and you know obviously like this is something to dig into theory wise you know what are they sacrificing for their dreams are they is Nate sacrificing his own presence his own ability to enjoy this utopia to give 
the X-Men and, and the current House of X thing um, to give them a chance, you know, essentially. So I don't expect we'll see X-Men anytime soon. I think at most we could possibly get a reference to like him having a role in in allowing this uh, this possibility for Moira's 10th life. But again, I'd, it's not a character I expect to see soon. Another big one, number three on the list, the Shadow King. All right, let's get into, first, before we talk about the weirdness of Shadow King's Krakoan presence, let's talk who is Shadow King. He is really the arch nemesis of Professor Charles Xavier. I mean, I know, like, Professor X and Magneto, obviously, are arch enemies historically in X-Men comics, if you just go from, like, the earliest Lee Kirby days. Um, But once you get into the Claremont era and you start getting that more nuanced Magneto, who obviously, you know, at this point in time is very much on the side of Charles Xavier, you know, Shadow King is a—he has telepathic abilities. He is kind of an ancient evil, according to some stories— and um, he, you know, he is like Professor X's opposite, right? He uses his psychic abilities for, for power, for gain, for wealth, and for everything that Professor X is opposed to, and definitely not, you know, human mutant relationships. Now, technically, we have seen Shadow King um, in the pages of the Empire X-Men number two tie-in issue, okay? It was literally one uh, big old splash page in which a psychic army from Krakoa comes through to fend off this uh, plant zombie army thing that was happening in the event, which is very fun. People should check it out if you haven't. But uh, there is a visual of Shadow King. Now, a lot of people were saying, like, well, it looks like he's walking on spider legs, though, like on robot spider legs, and that makes me think more of Mojo than it does of Shadow King, which is fair, which is fair, but actually those are the same uh, robot spider legs that Shadow King was walking on in the um, in the Astonishing X-Men run that preceded House of X. Okay, so in Astonishing X-Men, we have uh, it, by written by Charles Soule, we have a Shadow King who has essentially taken over. Professor Xavier. So Professor X dies at the end of Avengers vs. X-Men. That's in 2012. The character gets brought back, and when he gets brought back, he gets brought back essentially um, as a prisoner of the Shadow King. There's there's all this stuff in there about like them being trapped together for thousands and thousands of years. So there's they go through this huge battle in the pages of that Astonishing X-Men run, again, written by Charles Soule, and like literally at any point in the current House of X, it could be revealed that Shadow King is still a part of Professor X. Like, they have this battle, Professor X casts him out, he escapes the astral plane, he goes into Phantom X's body, calls himself the man called X, it's whole thing that there's still a lot of questions about. Again, like, if you check out the six months later thing uh, I did, the Crack and Krakow I did, which I'll have to link here, you know, I talk about all these weird historical events, but, like, Shadow King, as far as we know, I mean, yeah, he got cast out, but he's, he's like, there's nothing that really says he's gone for good. I don't expect Hickman to fall back on using like oh this is professor x taken over by the shadow king that's why some of the creepiness and some of the the questions that you know lie at the heart of krakoa are there i think that's too easy of an out um i I think anything honestly that sort of allows professor x and moira and their plans to say like oh these are you know yep we actually were evil because we were possessed i think that's way too easy of an out and not a great uh a great approach to this story arc but it's definitely an opportunity because you know shadow king like he's out there we don't we don't totally know what he's doing again technically speaking just based on what's on the panel that empire x-men number two shot uh shadow king is on krakoa based on that but given that he does not show up in any of the fighting in the next two issues, like he's completely gone after that point, I do that that like like ties into my theory there that um, Shadow King is actually just messing with us and he's allowing himself to be seen only occasionally just to to kind of drive us insane and he's there but nobody knows he's there, which would be actually very fun. Number four on the missing mutants list, John 
Proudstar. Okay, let's talk Thunderbird a little bit. Who is John Proudstar? Well, he is one of the first X-Men on the team in the all-new, all-different X-Men era of 1975, when we had Len Wein and Dave Cockrum, uh, right, Giant Size X-Men, right before Chris Claremont takes over with Cockrum in the ongoing X-Men series. Now, in the issues, 94 and 95, Claremont and Cockrum's first together, John Proudstar, aka Thunderbird, he dies. He actually dies in a plot to foil Count Deferia, who is the villain the X-Men fight in that in those issues. Um, so like right off the bat, he is he gets two issues, he is tough and proud, and in many ways very similar to Wolverine. Um, in what, what Wolverine would become is sort of the tough guy of the X-Men. You can see character-wise, potentially, why they would have, have written out this character, um, although certainly in terms of representation, it is a, a net negative, I would say, in terms of killing off that character immediately. Nonetheless, the character has been more or less dead since that mission. I mean, we've seen resurrections here and there in terms of, like, some of those, oh, these characters are brought back from the dead in, in a Chaos War or whatever it is. But, you know, it's it's... John Proudstar is generally gone. He is generally not a part of the X-Men. So the last we've seen of him, um, it, technically, some people have postulated that he is visible in the Green Lagoon shot in X-Force, that amazing spread drawn by uh, Joshua Kassara. I don't think that this is John Proudstar. Um, there's a couple reasons for that, but first off is John Proudstar has a brother named James, <laughs> James Proudstar, who has been in X-Men comics really ever since. Um, not ever since his death. There's a few years in between, but like he shows up pretty quickly in the pages of New Mutants. He's one of the original Hellions, I think. And uh, James Proudstar has since been like, I think he goes by Warpath. He's on X-Force. He's been around the X-Universe. So I, my thinking there is that that's probably who this is, um, given that there's only one of them. Apparently making moves on, I think, Celine there. So go, James. Um, but it, I don't think that's going to be James Proudstar. And we saw in the giant size Nightcrawler one-shot, too, the giant size uh, special there by Hickman and Alan Davis, that he's Nightcrawler sees a ghost of John Proudstar in that. Why would he be seeing a ghost of him and be weirded out by that if John Proudstar was resurrected and on the island of Krakoa? So what's coming for John Proudstar? Well, it could be a whole lot of things. And if you've listened to my Kraken Krakoa on Sinister Secrets, you know the that I've got some theories here on what Proudstar's role might be. But there's a couple of connections I'll point out right away. Sinister has mutant DNA, he talks about in Powers of Ten, and he says it's from Thunderbird, it's from John Proudstar. So there's already that connection. There's also the completely wild red shoes theory, which I pointed out uh, I got from J.M. Miles Explain the X-Men, the podcast, where there's a coloring error <laughs> in the uh, issue of James Proudstar's death in X-Men number 94 and 95, and where in one panel, you know, for the most part, his shoes are always blue, and then, like, in a panel where he dies, his shoes are red. So there's the red shoes theory that that is actually Mr. Sinister, and why, <laughs> which, again, like, you kind of got to watch the whole Sinister secret to really get the feel and the flavor for this, um, but Sinister... He, his first sinister secret is about red shoes okay so like it's not it's not just total conjecture even though it's a pretty wild hypothesis and theory but i will say it's extremely weird if proudstar is not resurrected already on krakoa you know just given the fact that his death was quite traumatic that it was very memorable in terms of this all new all different x-men team coming together um he should definitely have been among the top i think mutants to get considered for resurrection so if that hasn't happened yet and it doesn't have anything to do with sinister and and frankly even if it did like who who is blocking that who is blocking his resurrection and how are they doing that verbally because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Really, I would just like some confirmation that he is around and uh, and getting a shot the same way all other Krakoan mutants do. 
Number five on the Major Missing Mutants list is Zorn. Okay, Grant Morrison creation from the pages of New X-Men. Zorn has a very complicated history as well. Um, essentially, he is a mutant that the New X-Men discover in a Chinese prison in the Morrison and, and often with Frank Quitely uh, run on the title and like he is rescued by them he becomes friendly he teaches at school for a while and then it turns out he's magneto <laughs> he's evil magneto in a big old new x-men spoiler uh but actually he's not if you then go on to read the the rest of marvel continuity because marvel editors didn't really know what to do with that and uh it like i said it's complicated. The important thing, though, is Hickman really digs this character. Uh, Hickman digs Jorn. He's used him in uh, his Ultimates run. He referenced him in the pages of um, House of X that you see the two of them on Krakoa. So we have seen them on Krakoa. And probably most notably, you know, we've seen this character in Powers of Ten. Uh, as as one of these survivors in Moira's ninth life, okay, we we see a fair amount of him. Now, if memory serves, there was also some like Zorn poetry on a data page in the Dawn of X. I don't remember which issue exactly, but the Zorn we do see in the Moira's ninth life in Powers of Ten, um, he's a warrior, right? He's fierce. He has a black hole for a head, which a singularity for a head, even which Rasputin, the the Chimera, uh, unleashes in that issue, right? She unleashes Zorn's black hole head. <laughs> on uh what is it karima the omega sentinel and they cause a distraction trying to allow uh wolverine basically to get back to tomorrow to end that lifeline after they get the data they need from nimrod but there's a lot of theories and i've been postulating these as well that like rasputin and jorn could they have traveled through that black hole through that ninth life to somewhere like ameth which is where ten of swords is taking place or somewhere else right some other way we might see these characters again again the general idea here being like rasputin's way too cool <laughs> to just have a powers of 10 appearance um i think you could tie jorn into that as well potentially so like what's coming for the character i mean i think that's the best bet that that they might have some role although again like i don't know that using Zorn's black hole head as a singularity allows him to travel through that. It kind of seems like the sort of thing where his head exploded and maybe it would only work for Rasputin and uh, the Omega Sentinel. But I, I have to admit, I don't know that much about uh, traveling through someone's black hole head. I have not done it as regularly as I, I may be coming across here in this uh, in this conversation. But nonetheless, like I said, like Zorn's a Hickman favorite. I would really like to see the character get established on, uh, again, like kind of streamlined on its own terms so we actually know what that character is all about because again it's had a very messy history since Grant Morrison's exit on new X-Men okay so that drives to the final one I'm going to talk about today number six on the major missing mutants list is the clones okay now there are more that we could talk about here but the big three that I'm going to talk about first we got strife okay strife is the uh, evil clone of cable Okay, simply put, he's a, a Rob Liefeld creation, um, I imagine, with co-creators who I don't know by name. And uh, he, you know, he's got amazing armor and spiky heads and little tiny feet, <laughs> which are super cute. Um, but yeah, he, he thinks Cable is the clone, right? That's that's kind of part of his hook here is Strife thinks that Cable is the clone and he's the real Nathan Summers. He was raised by Apocalypse after, uh, you know, Gene and Gene and Scott had to send him into the future. And, uh, you know, he's kind of he's kind of got it out for Cable as a result of all of that as you might expect he's a notable notable villain uh mutant who we have not seen as far as i'm aware another clone is joseph now joseph is a clone of magneto famously in the 90s x-men uh he basically takes over the role of magneto after the events of fatal attractions and kind of up on through the onslaught era of x-men um he is he is you know kind of a a good 
you know, in quotes, Magneto in the Uri clone. You know, he works with the X-Men to a degree, although he's never quite as powerful as the Master of Magnetism himself, even though he mirrors some of his efforts. Now, we've actually seen Joseph fairly recently here, too, which I'll talk about in the pages of the Matt Rosenberg written Uncanny X-Men. And then the third clone, probably the one that I've seen the most people reference and, and really be interested in seeing in the Krakoa era, is Evan Sabiner, a.k.a. Kid Apocalypse. Now, he is a clone of Apocalypse. He's cloned in the pages of Uncanny X-Force, written by Rick Remender uh, in that very first arc of Uncanny. We see, of course, the, the Apocalypse solution where Phantom X makes a decision for that team on the fate of little baby Apocalypse. And, uh, you know, that story plays out. It's highly recommended reading, so I won't really spoil any, any of it, any of the details other than say net net there's kid apocalypse coming out all that and we have not seen that character in krakoa as well again as far as i know now all three clones have been seen recently in x-men history all in comics within the last two years so like we know they are generally around strife we saw in the ed brisson written run on cable and x-force he shows up in his pretty standard typical role where he's uh, leading the mutant liberation front he's fighting against cable all the usual strife business. Joseph, like I mentioned, he's in the Rosenberg Uncanny X-Men run. Um, he kind of has a brief cameo, but nonetheless, he's around. And then Evan, we saw, was in both the Uncanny X-Men Disassembled arc, relaunch of Uncanny X-Men, and in the Age of X-Men event prior to the Krakoa era. He appeared to die in the Age of X-Men event. Uh, in the he's, He has a role there, actually, in the Apocalypse and the X-Tracks mini, um, although I think that was a ruse, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it was kind of a fake-out. Uh, but either way, we've seen all these characters. Like, they are around. There's I, I don't even know necessarily that they would need resurrections um, in, in some cases. So what's to become of these clones? Well, in the cases where we do need resurrections or just like clone permissions, I mean, based on the ruling not to resurrect Madeline Pryor in the pages of Hellions number five, um, or maybe it was number four, either way, the odds are somewhat, st it was number four, the odds are somewhat stacked against these clones, I would say. So like in Hellions, after Madeline Pryor kind of battles the, the Hellions and their mission, and she winds up dying, Grey Crow shoots her when she's distracted um, talking to Havoc. They, the Quiet Council then has to make what they call a philosophical debate and decide, like, is she a clone of Jean or a mutant in her own right? And where they net out on that is to not resurrect her, or at least that's always what they tell or what Cyclops tells Havoc, okay? Could that be misdirection? Could that be a lie? It's a possibility, right? We got we to gotta leave that out there, potentially. Um, but that's, that's a bad sign, potentially, for clones being resurrected on Krakoa, I would say. Although, I will toss in there that, like, so Gabby... Uh, AKA Honey Badger. She's going to be in the pages of the New Mutants starting with issue number 14 by uh, Vita Ayala and Rod Rice. And she's a fan favorite character. I love Gabby from the pages of All New Wolverine, written by Tom Taylor. Um, she's an awesome character. She's 100% a clone, right? We know she's a clone. The idea that she would not be up for resurrection protocols seems kind of crummy. <laughs> seems like the kind of thing that um, maybe the, the X Men might want to walk back. So I don't know. Like, is this always going to be a quiet console decision where they're just like, hey, Gabby's cool, but Strife, he sucks? Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see exactly how that plays out. But right now, the fact that we're not seeing them around makes me think that there are some parameters restricting clones on Krakoa. So coming next time in Missing Mutants Part 2, I've got some teases here for the mutants I will be talking about. Definitely let me know. Who do you want to see? Like, who's missing in this era that you want to see me talk about, you want to see covered? Um, or, or even characters that we've seen, like, nothing of. You know, maybe they're around, but we haven't seen enough of them that seem pretty important. Uh, leave the, leave the uh, thoughts below in the comments. Any additional thoughts? theories or ideas that may have come out of this 
as well. I would love to hear. So again, thanks everybody for checking out Crack and Krakoa. I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com. You can find me at Comic Book Herald pretty much anywhere online. And if you are interested in supporting Comic Book Herald endeavors and, and content like this and Crack and Krakoa videos, you can go uh, over to patreon.com slash comicbookherald for ways to support the site. And of course, all those links are included in the show notes. So thanks so much. This is Missing Mutants number, uh, or part one rather, and Missing Mutants part two will be a coming soon. So stay subscribe, like, subscribe, all that fun stuff to uh, to be in the loop when that episode is released. So thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics. <laughs>